You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. I'm Timothy. I'm the worship pastor here, and um, I am what Graham is for Ashley. I'm the substitute this morning. So uh, we're going to talk about Disney movies. That's, that's what we're going to do. It's going to be great. Um, but before we get started, I want you guys to ask uh, someone around you a question. Uh, when you hear the word conscience, what do you think of? So to the person around you, you hear the word conscience. What do you think of? Could be a picture, could be words, a noun, a person, place, or thing. And uh, we'll get back. Uh, I think of two things when I hear the word conscience. Uh, The first one, and these actually are Disney movie references, so bear with me. But has anybody seen The Emperor's New Groove in the house? Dude, both services, man. People get so excited when I say that. Um, yeah, so there's that scene. I could talk normally to you guys because y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, you guys remember where he's about to dump, uh, Kronk is about to dump Cusco's body into the, the stream. And uh, he's a llama, not just like a body. I didn't want that to sound weird. Um, but uh, you remember he dumps the body and then he's kind of like, you know, starts doubting his decision. And then that little shoulder angel and shoulder demon show up. And he's like, oh, my shoulder angel, you know. And then my favorite line is the shoulder demon's trying to tell him, like, hey, like, just let it go, man. Do what you want to do. And the, the angel is all, like, you know, being like, this isn't the right thing, you know. And the, the shoulder demon says, that guy's trying to lead you down the path of righteousness. I'm trying to lead you down the path that rocks. And I always thought, specifically being a pastor, I always thought that was really funny. Um, like, the path of righteousness doesn't rock. It's pretty boring. Um, but uh, yeah, the other thing I thought of, we're going to have some pictures up here, going to get real nostalgic, but was Pinocchio, obviously. I don't think, like, look at this. This is just like a color by number picture. This is so precious. I feel like I'm four again, you know? This is wonderful. But the other thing we think about with conscience is, is Jiminy Cricket, right? We always think about, always let your conscience be your guide, you know, dream is a wish, your heart makes all that stuff, and making wishes on consciences. And really, in the story, Pinocchio, if you really go back and watch it, Um, the conscience isn't really present. Like, Jiminy isn't given a lot of good feedback um, because he's always waiting till, like, the last minute to really help Pinocchio out. So if you notice, Pinocchio's, like, off to school, right? And Jiminy Cricket's, like, hopping along, you know, and he doesn't catch up. And so then he runs into this fox and this cat named Honest John, but Honest John's not honest at all. And he gets, like, wrapped up in this whole lie, right? But then... Jiminy Cricket shows up 10 minutes later, and the deed's already done. And he's like, Pinocchio, where are you going? You're supposed to be going to school. And he's like, oh, I'm going with Honest John to go be famous or something. And it's just like, Jiminy, where were you when we needed you? Like, you, you showed up late to the party, bro. Like, I, I've already made my decision. I've already done the thing that I want to do. And, and it got me thinking as I was thinking about conscience, because what we're talking about this morning very much has to do with our conscience. And, you know, you hear that word, and I thought about Jiminy Cricket, and I thought, man, in, in real life, and, and here we are with Disney movies, right? Like, in real life, I think the shoulder demon thing and the shoulder angel thing is more relevant. It's more like that. You're, you get stuck between these decisions in your life. Jiminy Cricket's just like hopping around wearing that badge, you know? Like he's, he's just, he's all like all face, no work. But I thought, started thinking about our conscience and I thought in real life, Jiminy Cricket, like you can't trust that guy. Especially like if you're not a believer, like you can't trust that guy. He's just out to tear you up. Because that's really what our conscience is apart from God. It's just this worldly, fleshly, 
me-centered voice in our head that has no accountability. And so um, this morning, like I said, it's really what we're talking about is how the world and our flesh can affect our conscience and ultimately affect our decisions. Jiminy Cricket isn't the right answer. You can't just do whatever you feel is right in the moment. Or having the shoulder angel and the shoulder demon. That only works if you have the Holy Spirit in you. <laughs> Not just everyday people have that. Because there's a world morality. But then there's the kingdom morality. The morality that God defines and what he says is good and what he says is right. And we're not always walking in that. I mean, maybe some of you in here are, and more power to you if you're always walking in the Lord's morality. That's amazing. Um, I know I'm not. Because I have these influences from the world and these influences from my flesh. And those are two things that are always fighting against you. And you're always running an uphill battle that way. And it turns your conscience not into this, you know, life-giving moral compass, but it actually turns your conscience into this diseased, withered, broken voice because all if if you're not being influenced by the lord and by his word and by the holy spirit's voice you're only being influenced by everything else and those things aren't out to help you out without the holy spirit this is the gospel biblical truth without the holy spirit we are simply incapable of truly making the right decision i'm not talking about societally good decisions okay like recycling or, you know, picking up your trash, or, you know, stopping for pedestrians. Like, those are all, like, good things. I don't hit pedestrians, okay? Like, let's just, let's just chill. I just meant, you know, someone's trying to cross the street, and you're like, you know, whatever. Um, No, but that's, those are what we would say right, but they don't have any, like, biblical, God-centered merit. Just being nice, right? Or just being good. Now, I think the Lord's goodness is he's gracious enough to be good even in the midst of a sinful, broken world. And we experience that. That's how people who aren't Christians have relationships, right? And that's how you don't have to be a a believer to feel love or to feel compassion or to extend grace. But if he isn't at the center of those things, they're still not right. Does that make sense? And that's where we get this definition of if the Holy Spirit is not involved, it's not right. It's still broken. It's still still sin. Because apart from, he's the only, Jesus by his cross and the Holy Spirit being in us is the only thing that makes it right, righteous, right before him. So I'm going to break it down. One of the things is the flesh. That's, that's the main thing I'm going to talk about. We're going to talk about the world a little bit, but I want to talk about the flesh. All the flesh is, is how can I feel the best? How can I make the most? How can I be the most important? And how can I be the center of my own world? That's the flesh. That is a voice that is always in your head, right? How can I make every moment about me? It's okay to admit that. I can admit that. Listen, I got two small kids at home. There's a lot of me just wanting to live for me, okay? Like, I want my time when I come home from work, you know? And I want my food to be a certain way. And I want my coffee in the morning. And I want this and I want that. And we all do it in very, very small ways. But that's all the flesh pushing me to think about myself. And on top of that, we can't just say, well, then it's about thinking about others. It's still not right. It has to be focusing our heart and our mind on the Lord and what he wants and what he desires. I'm going to read a small passage, and if we have time, I'm going to jump back to it at the end. This is Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Bear with me on some of these words. Um, this is the ESV. That's, my, that's going to be my excuse for the morning. Um, verse 19, Galatians 5. 
Now, the works of the flesh are evident. This is very clear. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So our moral compass, our conscience, if not being influenced by the Holy Spirit, is being influenced by the flesh and being influenced by the world. And if we're being influenced by that, our decisions follow suit. And what our decisions, I mean, this is a very dramatic list, but if you want to know what living in the flesh looks like, I mean, that's basically it. Divisiveness, you're not about unity, you're about disunity, you're about yourself, you're not about other people. I mean, those are all the things of living in the flesh, living for myself. And if we're not trusting and walking, really walking in line with the Holy Spirit, step by step, moment by moment, our consciences become more and more untrustworthy. And therefore, our decisions become worse and worse. And ultimately, what? We're living a life full of sin. And sometimes we don't even know it, because we're good at excusing it. So this morning is what we're talking about, is is how we get from that point of compromising on the voice of the Lord for the voice of the flesh or the voice of the world, the influence of the, of the flesh in the world, compromising his voice, taking hold of those things and how it leads to really a life of, of sin that we don't even talk about. Sometimes we don't even recognize it. The sin hidden within our hearts, in our hearts leads to hopelessness. It leads to fear. It leads to doubt, especially if you're walking with the Lord. If, if you have a consistent relationship with God and then you start to not invest in that relationship and invest in that time and give space for him to speak and give space for him to move and give space for the word of God to impact you and to influence you and to change you. If you're not giving room for that, you're only giving room for everything else. We're always importing things, right? And we're always exporting things. If you're not listening to his voice, you're only listening to the voice of the world, the voice of the flesh. You guys tracking with me? All right, I think I've hit the nail on the head enough times. Here's the flip side, good news, okay? Because I want to have good news, not just really depressing news. This is a uh, quote by Charles Spurgeon. This is the good, God's grace, God's love news. God doesn't allow his children to sin successfully. So if we are walking in such a way that our faith um, is, is wilting and faltering because we're listening to another voice and we find ourselves walking in sin, living in sin, God in his kindness doesn't want us, he's not going to let us be successful in that. And what that means is as much as we'll run as far as we can away from him, he's going to run as far and as hard as he can towards us. And he will be such a good, disciplined father to us to try and wake us up and get us out of this lifestyle. Because what he wants to do is get that sin out of our lives replace the voice of the world and the voice of the flesh with his and renew a right spirit within us. So we're not left alone in the brokenness at any moment. And if anything, he's not sitting back just waiting. And we're going to see here in Genesis 42 with Joseph's brothers that he's fighting for their repentance and their forgiveness. He's fighting for it. Not because he's a judge and he wants to see justice. That's part of it. But part of it is because he loves us so deeply that he will do whatever it takes to wake us up. 
to the reality of his kindness and his forgiveness. The heart of God is to resurrect our conscience, to relight the flame of our moral compass with his Holy Spirit, that, me, that we might walk in his righteousness. Um, maybe there's some of you guys here this morning, and you can already, I'm talking, and like the, the Lord's already bringing things to your mind and to your heart that you're thinking of right now. And you're like, yeah, I've been living for myself in these ways. I don't want you to sense today um, a voice of condemnation. I'm going to be talking about sin this morning, if you haven't already been able to tell. Um, but this isn't a voice that wants to condemn you, that wants to shame you or harm you. It is a voice that wants to convict you, but a voice that wants to redeem your life from the pit. Okay? So trust his process, trust his voice, trust that what he has for you is good, and that, his, that he's kind, that he's loving. And I think he's going to want to do something really awesome in, in some of our lives today. All right, so um, if you have a Bible, open to Genesis 42. Um, I'm reading from the ESV this morning. Typically, we read from the NIV, um, but I decided to shake it up a little bit. We spent the past few weeks catch, catching up with uh, Joseph. Joseph, as you guys know, sold by his brothers into slavery. Um, it's 20 years later, and he's governor of Egypt. He's basically the vice president of Egypt, which is like the coolest thing in the world. Like He was a slave, and now he's up there calling the shots. And really, the story is about how Joseph has this dream with himself at the center. But what we see here is that he's at the center of a dream that God had for his life. And he's now walking in the fulfillment of that dream. He's, have, he's feeding nations with the wealth of Egypt, which is amazing. And we're going to catch up with him in a moment. But we've seen this really cool journey of, of Joseph being faithful and Joseph being obedient. And him getting to where God was calling him to go. And that took 20 years. And now we're going to catch up with the brothers who have been spending the past 20 years doing some other stuff. And uh, we're going to catch up with them right now. So Genesis 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there was grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So in chapter 41, Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams, and he talks about the seven years of plenty that is there for us to store up food for a seven-year famine, Okay. We were in the uh, seven years of plenty in chapter 41. We're now in the famine. And we catch up with Jacob and his brothers, or Jacob and his sons, Joseph's brothers. And um, they're feeling it. They're hungry. I was um, saying before that I feel like they're just in this broke down house. The yard is overgrown. The grass is dead. You go inside, there's cobwebs in the cupboards, and there's no food. And they're just standing around just feeling sorry for themselves. Someone comes in and tells Jacob that there's food in Egypt. And the brothers do something pretty interesting. And instead of um, getting up and saying, well, let's go to Egypt, uh, the scripture tells us that they're, they're looking at each other. And I read that and I was like, first of all, Jacob's sounding pretty hostile. He's like, why are y'all looking at each other? But other than that, why are they looking at each other? And as I've been studying and reading, something's very interesting. What does Egypt mean to the brothers at this point? So the brothers hear Egypt, and it only brings one thing to mind after 20 years. They think of their youngest brother, Joseph. 
who they sold as a slave into Egypt. They don't know if he's alive. They don't know if he's dead. But what they do know is what Egypt means to them. And Egypt is this reminder of their sin, a reminder of their failure, (laughs) a reminder of a terrible decision, a reminder of a lie that they've been giving to their father for the past 20 years, lying for 20 years. Dad thinks he's dead. They don't know if he's dead or alive. But they hear Egypt, and now they're just looking at each other like, well, we haven't heard that, that word in a long time. And Jacob's like, what are y'all doing? <laughs> Stop looking at each other. Go get us some food. And even you see from Jacob's point of view that Jacob is in this space that for the past 20 years, he, he seems bitter, and he seems kind of depressed, and he seems kind of down. But when we last saw Jacob, when he was giving his, his son Joseph the robe, and it was his favorite son, he, had, he was elated and he was happy, he was full of joy. And ever since he lost his son, he's bitter and he's depressed. So we have a, a pretty dysfunctional family right now. So in Egypt, in the look in their father's eyes, they've been reminded and been confronted by the one thing they've been trying to keep hidden for the past 20 years. So we're starting off strong for the brothers. A um, couple things to note, uh, there's a famine going on. This famine uh, represents an external force that God is using to represent an internal conflict, okay? He's using something like the famine uh, to expose and add pressure um, and uncomfortability to the brothers in Jacob's life to show them what's really going on inside. I don't know if you guys have ever gone through something like a famine um, that maybe takes like a year and a half, and maybe you had to work from home, and maybe you had to wear masks in places you didn't want to, and maybe you were stuck inside with your kids or with your family for a long time, and it made you stressed out. I know I have. And um, so it's, it's just the same thing. We, we go through things like COVID. We go through things, you know, this is a famine. And we think that there's like, it's an oppression. You know, we think that there's, oh man, we're really being weighed down. And I do believe that the enemy uses things like COVID, things like a famine to break people down. I also think that God uses it to wake us up. Because what I noticed, especially for me when I, when I was at home during some of the COVID time, is my comforts were being taken away. And my routine was taken away. And in the midst of all that, I started realizing how selfish I was and how much my world revolved around me. And that's what he's doing for Jacob. They don't have food. They have to go somewhere three weeks away, three weeks journey to go get food. The brothers have to go. It's uncomfortable. It's not uh, right now accessible. It's hard. And he, we're going to see that he's going to use this external force to shake up their lives. But the good news is that in the external circumstance, God is trying to reveal this internal problem so that he can lead them ultimately to redemption through repentance, which is amazing. He's using the sucky circumstance to wake them up and lead them into a more righteous life with him. Not because he's here to punish, because he knows it's better. He knows it's sweeter, and he knows it's more satisfying than how they've been living their lives. All right, let's get into six, verse six. Now, Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been 
spies. Okay, so the brothers, you know, sold Joseph off when he was 17. Joseph is 37 now. He's almost a 40-year-old man. He's, he's probably, like, just in the prime of his life. He's just killing it. All right, I was telling the, the group earlier, like, I, I always kind of think that he's, he's probably really strong. You remember the Potiphar's wife thing? It says that she looked on him, and he was attractive, you know? Like, he's fit. He's got that nice tan. He's got the Egyptian goatee. He's got the eyeliner. He's got that, that man skirt thing, and he's just, he looks, he's killing it. And the brothers roll up on this, you know? And it's like, this guy, like, geez. And he's probably standing on a platform. He's intimidating. He's scary looking. He's probably got that little hook stick that they have in all the hieroglyphic, high, whatever those things are called. And, um, and so you run into the scene with him, and Joseph is a powerful man. He's not some scrawny little boy. He's a powerful man. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. I don't know if you guys have ever run into, like, an ex-girlfriend or something. But, I mean... Those are some awkward situations, okay? Or you ever run into that bully from fifth grade, the guy that, like, took your lunch money or, like, ate your peanut butter sandwich from your face? Like, it's, it's a scary thing because in those moments, you're reverted back, right? You just remember all of, the, all of the, the details, and you're going through all of the situations, and it's just this awkward, weird thing. Imagine running into your brothers who 20 years ago sold you into slavery. Try to, you know walk through that one. The last image in his mind was probably him being carted off and his brothers just like jingling their, their silver away and they're walking off. I mean, this is a traumatic, emotional, um, really troubling moment. And what we're going to see is the Lord is ultimately, he's going to start working on uh, the heart of the brothers. Um, it says he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Something interesting I was reading was uh, Egypt was a pretty like prideful nation, okay? They were people who at the time was one of the most powerful nations uh, in the world. And they had all the power. They had all the resources. They, were, they had all of the, like, creativity and the art and, and everything going. It was like Rome, but way before. And so um, they were very protective of what they had, and Joseph knew this. And so uh, just for some clarification, Joseph is not exacting revenge on his brothers, and we're not going to see him do that. Uh, he is not looking at the brothers and speaking harshly and roughly to them because he wants, to pay, he wants payback and revenge, right? Revenge belongs to the Lord. He's doing it, honestly, because he's playing a part. Okay, he sees his brothers and recognizes who they are. They don't recognize him, and he's going to play into that. So he's going to act like an Egyptian officer. He's going to yell at them and bark at them and tell them, what are you doing here? Because that's how Egyptians would act, and it was pretty normal. And the last little thing I want to note, and... This is one of the most pivotal parts of the story. It says that Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Last little story is, um, I remember I got this text from a friend of mine about three years ago, really weird language in the, in the text, and I was like, who is this? And he was like, still messing with me, and I was like, I'm going to block this number if you don't stop being weird. Come to find out, it was a friend from high school, and it was kind of similar to the ex-girlfriend thing. It's like, I just was thrown back into high school, and I realized through the conversation just over text for 10 minutes how different my life looked from when I was in high school. Thank the Lord, right? And like, I just started to see how the Lord had brought me on this journey. I don't know about you guys, sometimes I feel like I'm not really progressing in my relationship with God. But if I were to go back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it's very different than how I was in middle school, high school, right? And it was just this beautiful moment where I thought, man, like I don't even recognize that guy anymore. I don't even recognize that language. I don't even recognize what's going on. And, and this is, yes, like he looks Egyptian and he sounds Egyptian. He's dressed Egyptian. But this really is, is imagery to show that Joseph has spent 20 years in faithfulness and obedience. And the brothers have spent 20 years of living in the flesh and living in sin and worrying about themselves. And it's this beautiful picture of like, 
They don't recognize him yet because he looks different, but I bet even if they were to talk to him, who are you? Like completely, because that's what the Lord does. He, he strips off over years, over a lifetime, he strips off that flesh and strips out that sin and starts to turn you into his image, which is beautiful. It's amazing. All right, verse 12, we'll keep moving along. He said to them, because um, they just said, we're, we're honest men, we've never been spies. He said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the son of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this, you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. So there's a plan change or there's, a, there's an initial plan that uh, Joseph has. Okay, so he says to the brothers, this is what's going to happen. I believe that you're spies. But he has this moment where he's counting brothers and he realizes that Benjamin is not there. And what makes Benjamin so special? Benjamin is one of two sons to Rachel, which is one of Jacob's wives. Jacob's wife, Rachel, has two sons. You can guess Benjamin and Joseph. They're the only two sons born to this woman. They grew up together. They're the closest brothers out of all of them. And he's looking and seeing all the brothers in front of him, and Benjamin is not here. And so this, again, this isn't exacting revenge. He has a concern and a worry for his brother. And so he decides, I'm going to make a plan where I can get my brother here. But you're going to be in custody for three days before you can leave. Um, he puts them in custody. And again, I feel like this is the Lord. I can't say that this is revenge because I don't like to think that. But he throws his brothers in prison for three days. And I don't know if that's the Lord's payback. I don't know if it's Joseph's payback. But he's like, he was getting carted off to Egypt for three weeks. You're going to sit in prison for, th for three days, and, and we're going to see what happens after that. But really, uh, again, this is, this is one of the, with the famine, with the journey, this is another pressure point for the Lord. He's looking at the brothers, and putting them in prison would have been uncomfortable, especially back in this time of history. This wasn't an air-conditioned, even concrete floor and walls, metal bars prison. This is like hot Egypt don't know what time period, but probably still hot, sand, dirt, bugs, sickness, disease prison, okay? Like, you're in a really mucky place for three days. And this is uncomfortable for the brothers. They've, they're not only experiencing hunger, they're having to journey three weeks away. They're now being put in prison. The Lord is using this, not punishing, but saying, you're very uncomfortable, wake up. It's just the uncomfortability, wake up. Your life isn't what you think it is. That's all this is. It's the Lord just continuing to move. Because true repentance isn't for Joseph to exact revenge and then the brothers learn and then they're scared of Joseph. Repentance is us having the fear of the Lord, not the fear of man. Because even the fear of man is not going to get us very far. Because I can perform all day for you. I can get up here and do a song and dance. It's great. But until you understand the Lord's position in your life and his authority and his power, that's when repentance comes. As you realize how small you are and you realize how big he is and how worthy he is. That's fear of the Lord. And that's what Joseph and the Lord are working to achieve. All right, 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. 
That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. Uh, funny about that verse with Reuben talking about, did I not tell you not to do this? Reuben's the guy, he had the idea to sell him into slavery. So he's like, didn't I tell you guys not to kill him? It's like, yeah, and you told us to sell him as a slave. So just chill out over there. Um, do this and you will live, for I fear God. There's another portion, I can't remember what chapter, where Pharaoh says to Joseph, you are someone who hears from the Lord. So we have this assumption that Joseph is listening to the Lord in every moment. And this is why he's not punishing the brothers. This is why he's not revealing himself is because he's obediently listening to every step because the Lord has a journey for the brothers as much as he does for Joseph. And he's aware of that. So he comes up with this plan with the Lord. I fear the Lord. I'm gonna respect that. And in light of that, I have a new plan. And he breaks down this plan. One brother's gonna stay in custody. The rest of you are gonna go home with the food. You're gonna bring back the youngest brother, Benjamin. At this point, if they were to go, and they do, they agree to it, if they go home to Jacob, and now Joseph, the other brother is Simeon, and then Benjamin has to come back with them, Jacob is losing three sons all at once. And so ultimately, this becomes a test for Jacob. Are you going to relinquish control and trust in the Lord? Or are you going like, to keep that control and keep doing what you want to do and keep your comforts close to you and this is the big test. He's testing the brother. And this is what's so cool about the sovereignty of God is that he's, he's using all of this, the famine, the prison, uh, this new plan. He's using all of it for Jacob, for Joseph, and for the brothers to bring redemption overall. Even in the relief of the external, he's sending them away with food. Even in the relief of that external, there's still this pressure from the Lord. He's still providing for them, for the brothers. They're not starving. None of them have died. He's still providing for them, providing for their needs, but at the same time, putting pressure, trying to bring conviction. And we get a piece of it. They just said, this is because of what we did to Joseph. And that's part of the journey, is understanding like what I did was wrong. And is God punishing us for that? I wouldn't call it that, but they've got half of it. And I think that's good enough for the Lord, right? We all have our own journey in confronting our sin and understanding the weight of it and understanding how much it means to the Lord how much it affects our relationship with God and how it affects us. Um, yeah, so like Joseph's brothers are looking for a way out, um, not a way into the presence of the Lord. That's a key thing I want to say this morning. Um, we see in a moment, it says that, that Joseph weeps when he hears his brothers talking about um, how they treated Joseph. He's listening to them. They're speaking Hebrew. He's been speaking Egyptian, but he knows what they're saying and he weeps. He weeps over the brokenness of his brothers. It breaks his heart. You think 17-year-old Joseph would have wept? Probably not. Probably be like, whatever, dude. Get back in prison. <laughs> but he doesn't. He, he's filled with this compassion. And, and it actually is a, a throw forward to, um, in the New Testament, we see where Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And all these people are laying down. Branches are crying out, Hosanna, the one who's going to save us, our Savior, our Savior, blah, 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 blah. And the cloaks and the branches. And he looks at the people, and Jesus looks at the city, and he weeps. And he weeps because he knows that the people are, are looking for a soldier. And they're not looking for a savior, you know? And Joseph sees this too, like you're, you're still not understanding what this is all about. Like this isn't about Joseph, and it's not really about the brothers. It's about God. It's about how much they've squandered this, not only this faith that they have in him, but really they've squandered this promise and this blessing. These are the men 
who are going to go on to establish the nation of Israel, who ultimately through which the line will come to provide Jesus, Jesus, the Savior of the world. Like, it's not just any small thing. It's not just these random guys. Like, this is the promise. This is the Abraham promise moving forward. And they're stuck in themselves. And they're worried about what they want. And they're worried about their uncomfortability. And the Lord, again, he's trying to wake us up and show us, like, this isn't what I intended. This isn't what I desired. And he's trying to make, come about a real change in their lives. All right, verse 25. I'm going to sit on this verse for a second, and we'll keep going. Um, yeah, they turned away, and he wept. Yes, 25. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. So there's a lot of this pressure coming from Joseph. He's, he's pushing the brothers and telling them, you know, all these plans, and you better come back with your brother, or we're going to throw you in prison, we're going to call you spies, we're going to kill you, and all this stuff. In the middle of that, he's sending them home, giving them what they came for, the food, and then replacing the money they used to pay for it. Which doesn't make any sense. Okay, you have to understand, Joseph's probably having a whirlwind of emotions right now. All these thoughts going through his head. And yet, in the moment, influenced by the Lord, he decides to repay them for what they paid for the food. In the middle of their stubbornness, in the middle of their brokenness, he pays for what they need. Isn't that the Lord? Every need you have, every moment of your day, the very air that you breathe, the clothes on your back, the food on your table, the relationships you have in your life, the joy and the goodness you experience in today's world, all is because of the Lord. And not all the time, but we do have seasons where we just turn our backs on them. Or moments where we turn our backs on the Lord where we're disobedient or we're living in our flesh or living according to what the world says or we're living in sin or we're hiding in sin. And yet he continually is pushing goodness and kindness and grace in our lives. And that's what Joseph, ultimately Joseph is the picture of Jesus in this story. He's supposed to look like Jesus. He isn't Jesus, but he's supposed to look like Jesus. And the brothers are us. Just not getting it and he's just being kind and he, he's caring about our soul and he's caring about our relationship with him. Um, and that, just that section right there, it, it's just the perfect picture of God's grace to me. The very riches of God, all that he can give, and all of it comes at this expense. Like, this is a picture of the cross. There's this debt that we have, this debt of sin that we owe to the Lord. And Jesus goes far enough to lay down his life on the cross for us as a free gift of grace to lay down his life and suffer and pay that debt no, and without even asking us, without even talking to us about it, without saying, hey, if I do this, are you going to come follow me after that? But just doing it, knowing people wouldn't. And that's, Joseph, he, they're going to go off with the food. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He may never see his brothers or Benjamin ever. But he's giving him back the money. That's the Lord's grace in our lives and the Lord's grace in their lives. All right, so then we're going to see the brothers' response. They'll, they'll find the money here, and we're going to see what happens. So, 26, they loaded their donkeys with their grain and they departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. And he said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? What is this that God has done to us? So all of a sudden, that reality of remembering what they did to Joseph and connecting that with the 
the hardship they're feeling, now they're going, what is this that God has done to us? So we did this thing to our brother 20 years ago, and now all of a sudden, things are going topsy-turvy. They didn't interpret this as grace. They interpreted it as a setup. God's setting us up. We're going to go back, and they're going to say, we stole the money, they're going to kill us. And that's what happens when, when we don't spend enough time leaning into his voice, when we don't spend enough time listening to him, reading the word of God, is like that voice starts to sound really jacked up. We start to think that, oh, he's just out to get me. He's out to hurt me. He's out to punish me. He's so disappointed in me, so ashamed of me because of what I've done. So now he's punishing me. Oh, he's setting me. What kind of crazy stuff? Like to think that he's being set up. Like they're like, oh man, he's setting us up. Why would God do that? Like that doesn't make any sense. He would just, he would just blow you up. He wouldn't set you up. It's ridiculous. Just, but seriously, you know, like, it, but that's the, that's the logic in their hearts and their mind. But this is, this is the transition. This is the difference between knowing that we're convicted and knowing that we're, con- or thinking that we're condemned. The reality of our sin should be horrifying. It should be. And I, I grew up, you know, very legalistic. I grew up in that kind of mindset that God's always ticked off at me. And I've come to learn that he's not. But what I have learned as well is that sin should freak me out. Sin should make me very uncomfortable. Sin should bring me to tears because it breaks the heart of God and that should break my heart. The idea of our sin should be horrifying, which is what makes the dispensing of God's grace all the more shocking. If I don't understand how deeply my sin has affected my relationship with God and myself and those around me, I cannot experience the grace. Because without the, the, the volume and the depth of the transgression, I can't understand the fullness of grace because I haven't taken full advantage of it. Full advantage of grace is going, wow, whatever the thing is for you, I've really let this take hold of my life. I've really said that this is more important than him. I've really said that what I get out of this is better than what I I, I get out of my relationship with him. I've put this over you. That should break your heart. And that's one thing, my background, that I would say amen to. Sin should break my heart because it helps me appreciate his grace. It helps me appreciate his kindness and his love and his care. Okay. Verse 29, when they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, the man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We have never been spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, by this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, then I shall know that you are not spies but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. So they finally make it home. Again, it's a three-week journey. They're finally home, and they're laying down this whole story for their father. This seems like a pretty, the first time I read this, I was like, okay, this is a pretty, like, boring little little passage here. They're just retelling what happened. Here's what's different. If you go back to when they first had this conversation with Joseph, they start by saying we're honest men. We're not spies. And then they say we have one father. That's the truth. We're brothers. That's the truth. Our youngest is at home. That's the truth. 
one is no more. That's not the truth. That's a lie. They don't know what, where Joseph is. They don't know if he's alive or dead, but they just said that he's dead. Well, you're honest men who are telling lies. And Joseph sees this and he's like, okay, you're honest men who are telling lies. The change is that now that they're before their father, they relay the message exactly how it went. Word by word, moment by moment. This is exactly what happened. They're being honest for the first time probably in 20 years. They haven't said what happened with Joseph. They haven't talked about what they did. But at least they're starting to talk honestly with their father. That's a big deal. And that just goes to show you this moment of understanding the sin and understanding something that I've done and understanding the weight of it already brings about change. So that's what it's all about. It's not just the gavel coming down. It's about what happens after that and the redemption and the reconciliation and how the Lord starts mending things back together. The brothers are learning what it means to live by truth and not by lies. They're learning what it means to live in the spirit and not in the flesh. Which that's all this is, this whole journey. It's just, am I gonna live according to the flesh? All those things are regulations to myself and to comfort and to pleasure and to um, promotion and to success and to money. Am I gonna live by that or am I gonna live by the spirit? that the pure in heart see God and that the Lord desires a broken and contrite spirit or to be poor in spirit so that mine would be the kingdom of heaven. Am I walking that way or am I walking for myself? Instead of for the Lord. So this is how Jacob responds. Verse 35. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack and when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. So again, they don't see this as like, oh, wow, he gave us our money back. They see it as like, oh, God's setting us up. And Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. We're about to, get, we're about to see uh, Jacob on the pity pot here. You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, kill my two sons. If I do not bring him back to you, put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. So Reuben's like, well, then I'll fix this whole thing. If it doesn't work, then I'll fix it. Good luck, Reuben. You're the guy who's sold your brother into slavery. not very trustworthy right now. 38, but he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. I don't know if that means his hair's gonna fall out, he'll be so sad, or if he's just like, I'm just gonna bend my head down until I die, but... He's basically saying, if I lose another son, I'm going to lose my mind. This is, is, is such a great picture, I think, of how we get. We experience these comforts in life, you know? We experience these really good seasons of family and growth, and we get married, or we have babies, or we buy houses, or we get new jobs, and, and things are really fun and enjoyable. And they should be. And the Lord wants you to have fun. But then COVID hits, famines hit, loss hits, life hits. When Jesus said, in this world, you will, not maybe, not sometimes, will have trouble, hits. And all of a sudden, it, our tune's a little different, isn't it? We're not as joyful. We're not as excited. We're more like Jacob. And I'm not going to call it complaining because it's right. Okay, half of Jacob's speech is spot on. Life is hard. 
My family, last year, we lost two people in a year. I'm talking close people. We lost my, my father-in-law and my, my, my wife's grandmother all in a year. Out of nowhere. Also, my, oh yeah, so my father-in-law passed away in January, February, my son was born. We were in the hospital two different times for two different things. It's not fun, it's not easy. And the Lord isn't saying that like that stuff should be easy. But what he also says is don't make this the end of the story. Because with us, it is the end of the story. And life stinks. And it's hard. And why would he do something like that? Why is he punishing us? Why are losing? So what do we do? Instead of trying to open our trust and open our hearts back to the Lord for consolation and for comfort and for love and care, we tighten our grip instead on life. And we tighten our grip instead on our comforts. And we tighten our grip on the things that we can take control of because I'm never going to let something like this happen again. He's not going to take my sons. And that's what we do. We take control. And then that becomes the God. That becomes the idol that we worship is our control. This monologue, like I said, isn't wrong, but, but Jacob, is, he's forgetting God's whole position in the story. When we left off with, with Jacob and his story, before all of this Joseph stuff, he was walking with the Lord. He had just wrestled with God. God broke his hip, and he learned, and he like limps around with life now. Just, he was obedient because he learned to like respect and honor the Lord. And the Lord gave him 12 sons. That's amazing. Where do we find him now? Broken, depressed, sad, bitter. Controlling everything in his life. Nothing's changed for him. How quickly we forget God's promises and his faithfulness in our lives. It's easy to remember him when our lives are comfortable and life is going how we'd like. It's hard when things aren't going as planned. But that's when we must redefine what success means. What we must redefine what the dream is, and, and, and being like Joseph and giving that dream back to him, back to the Lord and saying, do what you will with this dream because it's ultimately his. I want to read this passage as we, um, this is Galatians 5, 16 through 25. Um, but before I do that, you know, what is God saying in this whole thing? What's, what's the message here? Ultimately, I think what God's doing, and we're actually going to leave, that's just a cliffhanger where we're going to be at today. You'll have to wait till next week, see what happens. But <laughs> um, God is trying to say that I love you too much to let you live in spiritual death. To just live an empty, broken life of just living in sin. This isn't about making you feel bad. This isn't about condemning you and calling you guilty and evil. This life, if we live it for ourselves... I mean, I, one of my biggest fears is to, to live to be 80 or 90 and to look back and just be so sad. I've met those people before. It's sad. I remember reading about when Steve Jobs died, right before he died. He, like, wrote this whole paragraph or something and just said, I wasted so much time. Just got, like, billions of dollars. Wasted so much time making a phone. I'm not saying iPhones are bad. But to put our hearts in this world, to put our hearts in ourselves and our time to our comfort and pleasure and all that, 
yeah, it's probably fun for a moment. It's going to get real old real fast, living for me. And the brothers are coming to that moment. Their 20 years of partying and debauchery and sleeping around and being weird is added up to this famine. You've got no food. Your family is in disarray. And now you're sitting here, and in your mind, you're about to go be killed because you stole some money, you know? It's pretty sad. But that's trying to show us that this, this life about me, this life about what I want, this life of having sin in my heart that I'm not addressing and giving back to the Lord, it's just going to end ultimately in death. And the Lord's saying, I don't want you to end up there. He's, he's been stripping us of the flesh. He's stripping us of those things. And he's doing it through COVID. And he's doing it through the famine. And he's doing it through the loss. Because you're uncomfortable. So you're vulnerable. He's not making you uncomfortable. He's using the discomfort to help you try and wake up and see, hey, you see how this world doesn't work? Why don't you, why don't you come on back? It's nice over here. Because <laughs> on this side, I know what the world's going to give me. Trouble. I know what the flesh is going to give me. Trouble. I know what Satan's going to give me. He's here to steal, kill, and destroy me. Like, if I know all that, there's only one good option. Why wouldn't I go to that option? Every day. Because the trouble's not going to go away. Guess what? He's not either. That's cool. This is Galatians 5, 16 through 25. I'm going to read really fast. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. This is my favorite. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. <laughs> That's really living in the flesh. It's like, I just want to do what I want to do. And it's like, yeah, on purpose, the Spirit's trying to get you not to do that. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I'm going to read these works of the flesh again, just for a nice refresher. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But what happens if I walk in the Spirit? What happens if I don't live in the flesh? What happens if I give this sin back to the Lord? What happens if I repent and turn from my ways and start walking in righteousness with Him? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. My intentional question is super simple today. Is there sin in my life that I, that I need to repent from? Is there sin in, in my life that I need to repent from? I have the worship team go ahead and come up, whatever you guys are. I know that's kind of like, may sound kind of old school, but it's that simple. Sin is the thing that separates us from God. And Jesus died on the cross for it. So we're reconciled back to him. But sometimes we still live in sin. And guess what happens in your relationship? you're a little more distance from God. Every time you make those decisions based on your flesh and based on yourself, those decisions create distance. Not from him. He's exactly where he's supposed to be. You push yourself farther and farther away. So my invitation, um, we're actually gonna, is there any uh, prayer people in here? Can I get some hands? Oh, three, nice. All right, so there's gonna be prayer people in different corners. Don't 
think this is just another little ministry time. Like, I want you to take advantage of this moment. If you have sin in your heart, and you know you do, I want you to come get prayer for it and give it to the Lord. I know it's embarrassing and it's scary, but I promise you, you get this stuff out of your heart and you will be experiencing the love of God in a new way. If you have sin in your heart, you've been experiencing the love of God in a limited way. But remove this and feel that closeness from Him. He's worth it, but you're ultimately worth it to Him. Because He, God, I can't tell you how much better He actually is. I'm still, you know, young. I haven't lived a long life yet, but already, man, I, I have just seen how this works. It's just a bunch of, it, it is a bunch of garbage. It's a bunch of garbage, and it's not worth it. He is so worth it. So worth it. I'm going to pray. So Jesus, I just pray that you would lead us now to repent, to lay down our pride right now, Lord, and to come to you seeking change and desiring for you to come and do a new thing in our life, Lord. We know that the the journey coming from that life of sin, that life in the flesh, it's long and it's hard to turn around but we thank you that you're faithful every step with us. And you said that in this world we will have trouble, but we take heart in that you have overcome this this world and all of it, Lord. You've you've overcome all of it, the hardship and the difficulty and the the pandemic and, and all of it, Lord. You've overcome all of it. And now you just invite us to come to you, all who are weary, and you will give us rest because it's exhausting. It's exhausting trying to hide. And it's exhausting living for ourselves. And we don't want to do it anymore. So we just pray, Lord, that you would change our hearts. Make us look more more like you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.